0: Hello to you and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. I'm starting this one off with just a real acknowledgement, a sense of gratitude to you, the listener for going and filling out reviews and written reviews and five-star reviews, wherever you listen to it. It has been so helpful. In iTunes, we cracked the top 10 for the relationships category in the US. And that to me is like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe it. it. it is My heart is filled with so much gratitude that we are having this conversation, that we're having hard conversations, that I get to be part of them. It's such a blessing. And all of you have just held the very vulnerable And risk taking hearts of my guests. And for a lot of them, it's very, very hard for them to have done this for the first time or to share something that is incredibly vulnerable. And I know you hear their voices and their emotion as you hear mine when we're on the risk or on the edge of what we know to be true. And that's why it's so transformative, not only for them and also for myself in the expression that the expression of a truth reinforces that we're worthy of being heard. Regardless of how it's received, the victory is in the process, not the outcome. You know, it's like this, the juice is in the journey. It's not the destination, it's who you become on the way. And by the listener actually receiving them, and I've heard this so many times from my guests, is that when they are received so gracefully, oh my gosh, it just reinforces that their vulnerability is blessed and appreciated. And so thank you. I mean, I have so much gratitude for the space you hold as the listener. And I receive your feedback and I'm constantly trying to make changes and I get feedback and I want to, I always dig within when I get it and look at how can I be better? How can I show up better? How can I interview better? You know, when I hear that I like talk over someone or interrupt them or I don't hold proper space, I hear you and I want to continue to get better. So thank you for being open and honest with me. I appreciate it. Now, this week is freaking dope. I mean, this woman I met at the Psych Networker, which is an annual conference that is all about psychology and relationships and all the things, and it is my favorite conference to go to. It's like a nerd fest. I just nerd out substantially. And all my favorite teachers are there, and it's just like, wow, you know that feeling where you're like, oh my God. And... I met this woman there for the first time, and she is both a sex therapist and a master of emotion, and I was so excited to have her on today. She is a fellow Canadian, which, hey, we got to give a little shout out to our patriotism in that sense. You know, as Canadians, we say sorry for everything, so we should also say that we're excited about stuff too, instead of just apologizing all the time. And... Super pumped to have her on this week. I can't wait to share her wisdom with you. Her name is Shadine Francis, and we talk about sex and intimacy and how that works in the relationship realm and all the things and how that comes back to, as you guessed it, you, me, and ourselves. It always comes back to ourselves, doesn't it? So, as part of my ongoing love affair with Organifi, I have been trying all their products and I have now made part of my morning routine their green juice. And if you don't know what their green juice is, it's essentially like a superfood orgy of <laughs> I don't know if there's another there's probably another way to say it, but I don't want to say it another way because that tells you what's happening. Moringa, chlorella, mint, spirulina, beetroot, matcha green tea, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, lemon juice, coconut water all getting in each other's business so they can bring the power of those superfoods to your body. So if this sounds like something that you're like, yo, I want to make that part of my morning routine, especially because you know, when you drink green juice sometimes, and you're like, Oh, that tastes like lawnmower shavings with water. This tastes so good. So if that sounds like something, you're like, yo, I want some of that. Go to Organifi.com slash create the love and you get a discount. dot I.com slash create the love. And you get 20% off. So, without further ado, Shadeen Francis. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have with me today Shadine Francis, marriage and family therapist who specializes in sex therapy. I just made that sound like I'm <laughs> a sex radio host and also specializes in social justice, which... I mean, you put all those things together, and we've got quite a conversation on our way, folks. So welcome to the podcast, Shady, and I'm I'm really excited to have you here.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: The universe has brought us together a few times, and every time um, when we've con- consciously collided, because the first time, we were both like, did we meet in that moment? And, and since then, when we've set times to chat, I've always been incredibly impressed and just left those conversations more fulfilled, more excited about life mm-hmm. and, and just share so much resonance with what you say.
1: Mm, thank you so much. You know, I think we have to think the universe for sure. We also have a super connector in common. So, you know, yeah. And she's been
0: a two time guest on this podcast too. I mean, Dr. Alexander Salmon is like yeah. uh she's like the central nucleus of the network. She's like oh, a yeah. supercomputer. She's the mainframe.
1: She's wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful.
0: So, I mean, when we talk about in the context of sex and sexuality, I mean, that is obviously a very large subject, Mm -hmm. um, a subject that is filled with so much shame, so much pain, so much joy, so much ecstasy. I mean, there's so many paths that intimacy, uh, I guess, so many things that intimacy brings forward uh, or keeps us from. So in your practice and your experience, I mean, obviously, I didn't set set this up with a simple entry point. No pun intended. God, there's so many puns with sex and
1: sexuality. That's what she said.
0: Right? Like, it's so simple. I used to work in pharmaceutical sales years ago, and they had sensitivity training for people when they sold erectile dysfunction drugs because the target market was literally the person they were selling to.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: that's, That's a whole other conversation. So yeah, in the context of your practice, like, what is something that you see come up uh, over and over again or, or the struggles that you mainly end up at, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think it's super common for people to sort of come into sex therapy from all sorts of um, vantage points, all sorts of interests, uh, whether it's, you know, something isn't working the way I'd like it to or things are actually pretty great and we'd like to expand. Um, it's always fascinating, like, um, you know, cocktail conversation, you know, the question, like, what do you do? Uh, mm-hmm. When you're a when you're a sex therapist, uh, read, <laughs> yeah, right. Read your audience.
0: They're either you know, excited like, to find out what you do, or or terrified. And there's
1: did. so and there's so many layers to it, right? So there are people who are like just very excited. I literally had an Uber driver like pull over to try and show me her labia, like not her like on her body, but like on her phone. Which I don't know how uh, much better yes. that makes it. But. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know.
0: Is that like getting a dick pic that feel a labia pic. I never got <laughs> right. one of those.
1: Uh, yeah, not yeah. i I guess so i imagine it would be the same as like if you were like you know uh, a lawyer and you know you let someone know that and all of a sudden they want you to like review their paperwork or something Uh,
0: yeah it's uh, like that but totally different (laughs) but totally
1: different Uh, (laughs) i'll get unfortunate i'll get some of those responses where people are eager and desperate for these conversations Mm. i'll get some folks who sort of like smile and nod sort of you know carefully uh, because they mostly heard therapist and so they're worried I'm gonna ask them about their relationship to their mother. Uh, and then uh, I have folks who hyper focused on the word sex and they clutch their pearls or turn beat red and try and gracefully drift out of conversation. Um, but the, the thing that I reassure people often um, about my work or maybe clarify about my work is that you know people often come into the office to learn how to fuck. Um, and mostly what we talk about is how to feel right? That my, my language of expertise is so much about feelings. And so that is what takes up the most of the airtime and most of the space in any session that I'm holding, that people really are organized around the ways that they feel or don't feel. And that will absolutely, absolutely color your entire sexual experiences.
0: Mm, and I, I guess in that context, then, what is going on for you sexually? is whether it's a challenge or not is basically a magnifying glass to the challenges that you have within your internal system being able to feel being able to navigate being having the right the permission to have certain requests. so everything is sort of you know when you have sexual issues, sexual challenges, I mean they're they're really challenges that stem so much more. I find that so much of it comes back to safety, security feeling mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you're like I don't have any desire, you know and it's like well, desire you're not going to desire someone you don't feel safe to be with but yet we think there's something wrong with us when our desire dips
1: yeah right we're we're very quick to pathologize uh, because it's easier it's easier right that the known or the easily explained is safe and it's normal and it's natural right by by our understanding none of that is actually true but that's the way that we approach it whereas the things that are unfamiliar or foreign Or new can be, yes, exhilarating in some ways, but also terrifying. Um, And we can be very quick to other people, beliefs, experiences um, that we don't understand. And those are often really beautiful opportunities for us to expand ourselves into the unknown. Um, But that doesn't come without great risk. And so that, that is relevant to our sexual journey. Right. That the things that we don't understand, the places within ourselves that we have questions about are really, really beautiful invitations um, for us to continue to expand or either on the horizontal or deepen within ourselves.
0: Mm, So how might that look? You know, because when you think about someone coming to you with a sexual challenge, Mm -hmm. what might that look the invitation to expansion?
1: Mm, Yeah. So it might be a particular like stuck place either within your sexual self or your sexual relationship in particular. So some common ones that show up in the office might be, you had mentioned desire. So desire is one that comes up often, uh, particularly in the context of relationships, discrepant desire, right? So I have greater or more frequent um, desire or interest in sex than my partner does, or Mm. the things that I desire are really different than what my partner or partners do. Um, And that can be a really challenging and threatening conversation for folks to encounter because it really taps into the nature of, am I allowed to want what I want? Is what I want reasonable? How much do I push or request for the things that I feel like I need? How do I tolerate the no and the difference between what I need and what my partner is willing or able or wanting uh, to give to me? And how do I navigate feelings like disappointment or rejection? in the context of a really vulnerable, potentially vulnerable and intimate relationship. All of those kinds of questions are openings for us to make some really meaningful decisions about who we are and who we want to be and how we navigate the world. And sex is, um, because we don't have many useful conversations about sex, Mm. um, like I can think of tons of conversations I was having about sex growing up, none of them amounted to anything that was usable <laughs> or or helpful to anybody right but that because there because there's such a, a gap between the frequency of conversation around sex and actual information about sex relationships feelings any sort of usable information that could help us learn and grow we encounter challenges and then just feel just very defeated by them
0: it's so true that in the context of sex and sexuality especially I mean I think there's such a a clashing, like a coming together of culture, religion, socialization, media, mm. that all of them create messages around sex that are not healthy. You know, they're not empowering us with our sexual abilities or desires or information. They're actually causing us to hide our sexuality or put it in a box that only comes out when we drink or only comes out when we are numb to ourselves. And like, I, I think a lot in the context of having grown up Catholic, that mm-hmm. a lot of the context of, like, I was basically taught both explicitly and implicitly that to, desire was bad, that, that you had to be careful of your desire, that something sort of dangerous might happen from your desire, or you might have a baby, you know, and the, but there was never an education around desire. And so, it, because you're human and you actually have desire, you're not getting rid of that, that's human, that's biological then we create these beliefs within ourselves that a part of us is bad. So yeah. then we hide the and shame this. And and it, it's just so mm-hmm. fascinating to me that like the thing that creates us is the thing we don't talk about the thing that we are most afraid of the thing that brings us the most intimacy and joy and ecstasy and connection. We often are void of ourselves within that exchange. Mm-hmm. So I, I love what you said that it's this invitation, like all that shit and I don't mean that the stuff is shit, but all the stuff that's <laughs> com- that comes up in those sessions is such valuable information to get curious. It exists regardless of whether you talk about it or not. Yeah. But if you don't talk about it, you can't turn towards it and then get an understanding of your partner, get an understanding of your own sexual desires. But because it's shamed, it's hard to turn towards because yeah. it's so taboo.
1: Yeah. Shame is wildly unsexy. Right. That it literally yeah, is right. the least. It is the least sexy thing that you can feel, right? This.
0: I don't think you feel shame and have a boner. No, there's there's no,
1: there's no way, right? That you could do all sorts of like humiliation porn, right? But shame shame does not give you access to connection in that way, right? It doesn't open you up to vulnerability. If if we are still trying to inhabit our humanity, if we're trying to determine the validity of our personhood, right? To decide whether or not our existence matters. Like that's not an opening for sexual activity, right? We can certainly still Mm. have sex in that place, right? That sex is, you know, there's an element of sex. that's just behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Like the act of being sexual, whatever sexual means to you. But it's certainly not sexy.
0: So how does someone move from those questions that you were talking about? One's like, is my desire okay? Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it? What am I supposed to stifle for this mm-hmm. relationship, and for the person whose desire is less? You know, I I find it fascinating that the person who tends to desire less, the relationship or sex, mm-hmm. tends to hold more of um, the power, at least unconsciously. You know, because they desire, they decide the depth of intimacy. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that inherent in the in the desire discrepancy is a power shift.
1: Yeah. And I I think that in terms of power, right, we actually, air quotes, should operate in that way. Right. So if we were to think about any other kind of journey that you take with another person, let's say a hike, right, -hmm. that the most compassionate thing that you could do is move at the pace of the slowest person. And that's not to say the person who has the least desire is the slowest person, right? But Often what is also true in the world is that the person who wants the thing less has very necessary reasons for wanting it less, right? Whether it be about safety, whether it be about ability, interest is a fair reason. And so if we were to return to the metaphor of the hike, like, let's say my body just doesn't move that way, right? Or let's say that, you know, I'm in pain, Or my lungs are tired, or I'm healing from some other kind of injury, right? That we actually have to make negotiations and privilege, right? My position above yours. And maybe I do have lots of of generosity in that space. And I say, you know, I still feel comfortable with you being like up to 10 steps ahead of me, and I'll catch up. I'll catch up, right? Or, you know, the way you could, a way that we could navigate this is maybe the person who moves a little bit with more agility, right? Can walk backwards, right? Do something creative, try and learn something new and and, you know, but in terms of this power exchange, right? For me to drag you along behind me, right? That's not a mutual journey. Mm -hmm. However, as a person who is saying, I want less or I need less than you do. I also have to be compassionate for the person who is saying like, maybe I have to give something up in order to be close to you. And so maybe there is some room for me to live also at my growing edge and be willing to challenge myself to a margin of discomfort in order to meet them just a little bit more. And so on both ends, it is about like what am I willing to give?
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: we can all be very staunchly rooted in, well, this is what I want and this is what I need, so this is what I deserve and this is what I should get exactly the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. And I think sometimes, you know, the personal development space can sound like that. I don't think that's the intention, but certainly as we get into conversations around things like authenticity or knowing yourself or the place I hear it a lot, is like around worth. Yeah. um, Like know your worth. Right. That in knowing your worth, that that has to look and be received in some like concrete, absolute way by all people at all times such that if you value my worth, and this is always what it looks like and feels uh, like. And yeah, never that willing it can't to
0: deviate. Me.
1: Right, that I'm not willing yeah. to negotiate. Um, I think that we, we miss you know opportunities, right? And that'll show up in our sex lives, because if we don't have skill in negotiation around our wants and needs, how do you do anything with consent, right? And if if you are a person who is mindful of power and exchange, and so you know that you require consent in order to navigate with folks. You're probably mm-hmm. not going to have a lot of experiences that you want, right? Because you're not able to negotiate for them, right? It's, it's my way or no way.
0: Yeah, which doesn't feel like a meeting of the middle, in the middle, you know, of, of what intimacy is really about is that it is a leap for both people.
1: It, it has it, to be, or, yeah. else it's like, or else it's a, a you're cheating it right, you're cheating the, the process of intimacy, right, that without negotiation, without the challenge of becoming flexible, even as you know yourself, right, that you, there is no vulnerability in rigidity. Mm. That shows up, that shows up, right? I need to have sex four times a week with, well, if, yes, if you know that, and that is what you need, hold true to what you need. And is there room for negotiation on what that looks like? And what that experience is like, what that feels like, what counts as sex? Who are you having sex with? What's the duration of sex, right? And also why?
0: And how do you define sex? Yeah. Like, what is that? You know, in the, I remember reading um, some research from the Gottman Institute that the greatest predictor of uh, a sexual satisfaction within a relationship, one of them, is the response to a no, Like when you ask your partner to be intimate and your partner says, no, how do you respond to that? Do you respond to that with understanding and then redirecting like, oh, what would feel good for you today? Could we watch a movie? Could we do, you know, and even in that, but if you like make it about you and have a little tantrum, then the likelihood you're going to be having any sex in the future goes down substantially. And I think that shows that when we can hold that space of that space of compassion to meet them where they're at, that allows them to calm to move forward. I I do think where we get lost in the language about self-worth is that so many of us don't stand in our worth. We don't stand in the space of what we are worthy of. And we have been self-abandoning our whole lives. Yeah. And, and, of course, compromise is about holding on to who you are, but stretching, like leaning out, leaning, you know, can I hold... It's kind of like if one person is doing the work and the other one is not it's that question of like how long can i hold in this space before i actually do have to abandon myself Mm -hmm. and to leave someone because of things like sexual desire can can be really looked down upon by society that the person with more desire left the one with less that there's no consideration or um that you lack empathy for that. So there's a real shaming of even claiming oneself within that space, I think. So maybe we get our needs met by infidelity or something like that instead, or porn.
1: Yeah, right. And we have a society that, you know, is really quick to police people on how much you're allowed to want. Um, Mm. We're very quick to turn to shaming narratives around greed, right, or like entitlement, right. And I say that even that word sort of makes me bristle a little bit as a millennial. Yeah. <laughs> right? but that's, that's our brand. That's, <laughs> that's, our, that's our public brand, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> right. And I, I, I also, you know, I'll, it's a, a slight aside, but I, I think also still uh, in the realm of relevance here, you know, use the word compromise. And I recognize that when I work with folks, uh, I'm very clear with them that, you know, I'm not invested in teaching them how to compromise for exactly the reason that you said that so pe- so many people are already living outside of integrity um, for so many reasons. Right. I, I, I'm not shaming folks for that. We learn to do that. Most of us don't actually have a lot of early life opportunities to be, you know, in alignment with our, our truths um, or to express our truths or to even act them out, even if we somehow manage to get clear on them. And some of my bias is probably because I'm a, li- a middle child, um, so, with a grain salt, yes, I'm, I'm very, I, I try and be very clear about my position, so that if something doesn't land on you, you know a little bit about where it comes from.
0: <laughs> I'm the youngest, so maybe that makes things yeah, so, a lot more so it, clear too.
1: It, it might be different for you, um, but I hate compromise hate it as a real person I don't <laughs> like I, do, I don't <laughs> like it I don't enjoy it I don't want to do it it is my last ditch resort and so I, I have to guide people on the same kind on similar journeys as I would take right like I don't want to yeah I think that's true I don't I don't want to help you map <laughs> out a journey that like I would be unwilling to take myself right yeah, if I, I agree if, with you. if I couldn't imagine myself actually going on this journey how do I walk alongside you in that with any sort of my own authenticity and I don't have much use to you if I'm not able to be real. So I sit in the office as an actual person. I curse. I tell jokes. Like Who I am as a regular person is also who I bring you know, to my office as a therapist. And so instead of compromise, I really privilege and am intentional about the word negotiation, whether or not it's semantics. But compromise, to me, has a connotation around, around loss around sacrifice like what do i give up and so the middle child in me says okay we both want what we want and you know in order to meet in the middle like i give something up and you give something up and as long as what we've given up feels sort of equitable right like you don't get what you want really and i don't get what i want really and because we both lose it's a win yeah Right. And like that, that's my emotional experience of compromise. And Mm. for me, wow, that sucks. (laughs) And that to me also doesn't feel very sexy. Like that does not get, not get me in the mood to be like you lose and I lose. And so two negatives, let's let's lose together
0: and (laughs) make, make compromising love.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> right that doesn't sound that doesn't no sound there's nothing erotic wonderful. about what just
0: happened there it, yeah.
1: exactly exactly and, and you know i was an athlete growing up so like just the idea of just like surrounding myself with law <laughs> no no we can't do this no. right and so i think very much about negotiation and and you know in an for me in an ethical you know or conscious negotiation we're both very clear on our bottom line mm. right and, we and, really and it's
0: okay clear. to have a bottom line you know, Absolutely. I think that's the hard part for people is to stand in the truth of the bottom line. That's the worth.
1: Absolutely. And that's and it, a, the line of self abandonment. Yeah, and it's hard, right? Compromise. If you're a person that gives up self or betray self often, compromise is easy. You do that shit every day. You do that. That's shit your when superpower. You yeah, right. You you get don't you get
0: negotiate the- for other companies, but for yourself. Yeah. Okay. you get the yeah.
1: blueberry. You get the blueberry muffin when it looks like somebody else wants the chocolate muffin that you actually wanted. Right? Yeah. That, That's there I month. want
0: the chocolate muffin.
1: Exactly. We all do. <laughs> right. That, yeah. that there is no back. I'm not shaming any blueberry lovers. Sorry, y'all. Right, that there there is no you don't actually have to do any back and forth. I don't actually even have to be invested in you or what you want to compromise with you. I can give myself up all day, right? That negotiation really challenges you to be clear on what it is that you Mm. want and to be engaging actively with what the other person wants. And the way I frame it for folks, um, especially in compromise, that you know because we want what we want because we want it, we're not always very conscious of even like like again, what our bottom line is, like what is the core of that? What experience am I trying to create? We just get really caught up in the packaging and what we think it's going to look like when we get what we want, right? It's like a present. If there's a gift Mm. that we're asking for, we might get really caught up with the box, right? And say, you know, I I know that the thing inside is gonna give me what I want. Well, what the fuck is inside? What's in there, Mm. right? On a compromise, I might not have that conversation, right? In negotiation, the way I frame it with folks, right? let us get down to the actual core. Let us be like really, really granular and specific about the experience that I'm trying to have or the feeling that I'm trying to create. Because everything goes back to a feeling. We don't care about anything uh, apart from how how we feel about it. The best Mm -hmm. and worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life is a feeling. And so if we can get down to that part, we can actually build the box around it. Right. That the best negotiations start from a small thing and then we maximize rather than what we're often taught about negotiation, which comes from, you know, just wildly unethical practices. Capitalism. Exactly. Right. Like, how do I trick you in order to exploit you? Mm. Right. Like, do not treat your partner like a system of oppression right? Like honor their worth and honor your own by getting really clear on how do we maximize our experience with one another? Not how do I tell you that I need $50,000 when I know that to survive, I only need 24 in hopes Mm -hmm. that you're going to give me 32.
0: Yeah. I mean, so many things of what you're saying. Like I I think about this idea of negotiation and relationship, but we could say in all avenues of life, if it was approached from this space of you winning is actually me winning too, when it's in alignment with my own intentions and goals. And I think about that in the context of partnership that if I was in a partnership where we had this negotiation we were doing, and of course I've had those, it's when they feel safe and more expanded and more open and vulnerable into the relationship, I am inherently winning already because there's been four steps taken towards me hiking And I have actually taken a few steps back that feel like really loving steps that they're like, we stopped for a view, you know, that we just took a moment to take in a view. And, and then it makes me think, and just another thing that you said is, is like when we are operating our relationships from these systems of oppression that we learned, that we are part of that you know, that we have observed, and then we don't even know we're unconsciously participating in that when we learn that we can soften and step out of those and we can actually have partnership without control and manipulation, even though we're doing it unconsciously and it comes from a good place because it's how we created safety that we are being expanded again, again, again. So I love that you use that word expansion, expansion through the opportunity that presents as maybe sometimes even a a, dis- a challenge that seems insurmountable
1: yeah right and insurmountable is is a judgment right that's yeah a perspective right
0: not that- to mention the word mount is in there and I just <laughs> had to point that you're out. you're
1: doing such a good job with these like, <laughs> that was uh,
0: I've held back a lot you know my brain is <laughs> my dad said that my brain lives one inch above my pubic arch sometimes and <laughs> he said I didn't have enough blood to perfuse both <laughs> It's pretty funny, actually. That is,
1: I, that is actually very. That is a funny challenge.
0: <laughs> he's very funny. So, I, I think for the people listening and for me as well,
1: yeah. how
0: do we get? So, let's take that example that we've sort of run with. One person has a desire for a few different things, maybe yeah. uh, an increased amount of desire, and the other one has less for whatever reasons. Sure. How do we get to that? What you what did you call it? Like the baseline, the core emotion, and then build a box around it. How would we go from the questions you asked about what are my non negotiables, what are my bottom line? How do we get to the feeling and then the building of the box?
1: Yeah, and so you know, in this work, it will be very tailored to the person, of course, as as all things. Um, Yeah, but but maybe I'll share some more of my conceptual frame um, to kind of help understand some of the roots in words um so my background is in neuroscience so here might be a place where while i'll still you know be conversational it'll be more and more apparent that i am nerdy um
0: <laughs> well, this is actually a nerd celebration group it's not a recovery group we don't recover Wonder- from nerdy oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you celebrate can't. nerd there,
1: there is no walking it back
0: <laughs> nerds are cool now just so we're no, clear oh, we're, nerds we're are the new
1: Oh, I do not use nerd in a pejorative sense. Uh, I am very, very, (laughs) very... the
0: fact that you used the word pejorative, that was slightly (laughs) enticing. I like that.
1: There you go. You're welcome. Um, Right. So first of all, context for my neuroscience degree. Um, I literally went to school to get this neuroscience degree to learn how to undo feelings, right? That my idea was that I was going to rescue us (laughs) <laughs> from feelings, I'm like, wow, these are uh, inefficient. They are pain inducing. <laughs> they are not purposeful, and I don't get them. I don't get them. They don't make sense, and we don't we don't need them. What are they even for? What and you are went to even
0: to figure out why they were dysfunctional and how to make sense of their dysfunction?
1: I was, I was not even to learn about why I had decided. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's I was like pretty,
1: it. I was pretty clear. And I started school early. So it's like 16 and 17 year old arrogance there.
0: <laughs> but I oh, was you like, i college at 16.
1: Yeah, I was I was I just turned 17. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to liberate us. I'm going to, I'm going to free us.
0: (laughs) We've all been waiting.
1: (laughs) I'm going to figure it out. So I'm going to like zone in on the part of the brain where all this shit lives. And I'm going to figure out why we haven't evolved out of it. And I'm going to help us.
0: (laughs) This is is Uh, the start of a beautiful confronting story. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And so I went through this multi-year degree and all of the research was like, girl, no, (laughs) you need these. I was like, oh, damn. I guess I should probably figure them out uh, and, you know, made a conceptual pivot into therapy. Cause I'm like, okay, I, I get what happens in the brain, but like what the hell is happening in relationships then? Okay. If we yeah. actually need feelings, like why are we all hurting each other all the time? Yeah. And why are these things getting activated over like dumb stuff? Right. Like things that, you know, and being 17 and being in relationships being 20 and 21 in relationship and being like, why do I even care about this thing? That doesn't matter. Okay. So your ex-girlfriend invited you for ice cream. Like, why does that matter to me? I love yeah. ice cream. I love <laughs> I love you. You love ice cream. You should have ice cream. right? <laughs> but I'm like, I don't want you to do it with her. <laughs> right. And so just acknowledging, okay, like where do these things come from and what's the purpose? And so the bridge of my neuroscience understanding and my therapy understanding What I bring, you know, to sort of the the warm, fuzzy, sort of therapeutic, you know, I can do my therapy voice right now and be really, you know, soft and engaging, I really bring a a lot of this cerebral perspective and I think about how the brain actually works. And so when I'm thinking about intervening or making change, I think about the way our brain processes information and it goes feeling, thought, behavior right? We feel first. It's the oldest part of our brain. It's the most reactive. People talk about controlling your feelings all the time. You can't do that shit, no. right? Feelings, nice feelings try, right? Feelings happen. Feelings are happening. They are responses. They are ways that we engage with the world and they help us communicate or understand or metabolize You know, the world around us. When we're listening to them, And make meaning of them, we can start to better understand what it is that we need based on how our physiology is experiencing our environment, whether that's our spiritual environment, our social environment, our physical environment. Our feelings then bias our thoughts, right? So on a good day, you look at your partner, you're like, Oh my goodness, like your facial symmetry is out of control. Like you are so mother effing beautiful. Right? (laughs) And You know, the next day you're in a bad mood. You're like, "Why the fuck do you breathe so loud?" (laughs) (laughs) Right? And you know, then our from our thoughts, we then start to guide or influence our behavior. And any of these processes can happen really, really quickly. For example, when we're in crisis, right? We might not be actively engaging sort of our frontal lobe, thoughtful brain. We might be moving really close between you know that physiological emotional response to a behavior such yeah. that you know something startles you and you swing and you're like shit that's my partner i'm so sorry yeah uh, we can we can move really really quickly between these spaces and there's reciprocal inter influence at every stage such like the nike slogan just do it has relevance here because if we do something different we might also be able to think differently mm-hmm. or feel differently about that experience, right? So, all of it is reciprocal. What does any of that have to do with sex and intervention, right? Well, judging based on kind of where the air quotes problem is existing, right? We're looking at okay, is the crux of this or the center about a feeling? Is this about the thoughts or cognitions? Or is this about behavior, right? At what level are we intervening on? We can absolutely have sexual, you know, issues. Right discrepancies, right not just of desire but differences here around behaviors, right. So I want to have the act of sex, right, x number of times, and you want it x number of times. Maybe I'm only able to have it x number of times versus x number of times for you, right? That it's physiologically uncomfortable for me, Mm -hmm. right, more than x number of times, right. This this is often people with vulvas, right, that like. Yeah. After day nine, like there's chafing. So (laughs) yeah, that's a reality
0: of the function of of the organ itself.
1: Right. So like, yes, we've lubed it up, but like also my pelvic muscles would like to rest today. (laughs) Right. Um, And you know, that will often come up also in terms of even just like positions that people want or can do. We can have, we can have discrepancies or differences there. Um, thoughts is a really fun one. So I write sex ed curricula because most of our sex education is trash. Um, and
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that reality. That's so good that you just called it forward. makes me sad that it's true because there's so many people going around the uh, operating in the world who believe there's something wrong with them when there was actually just something wrong with what they were taught.
1: And that's the fastest. Those are the, the quickest sex therapy experiences, right? That, we have so much agency and power when we learn things, which is why mm. like the colonial process is the first stage is to burn the libraries. Right. It's because if you have knowledge, then you actually have, you, you begin to have agency and power to make real change. So in the context of differences there, we might think differently or have different beliefs about what sex is or how sex works. A really common mm-hmm. one that shows up in the office is around lubrication, right? The false, uh, the, the false belief that like, oh, you're not interested in sex um, because you're not wet, right? For people who are having sex with people with vulvas, right? And for f- folks to learn that lubrication is actually a really shitty way to measure arousal, right? That can be incredibly liberating, right? Yeah. Just knowing something else, right, can actually change our perception of us being in discrepancy, in difference, right? We might actually be able to notice more commonalities or be more creative when we have more information, right? But the place that is often most challenging, but it can be some of the most rewarding work is around feelings, right? When we have very different feelings wrapped up into sex or the feelings that get wrapped up around our differences in experience get activated, right? So when we have feelings around shame, when we have feelings of fear, When we have feelings around like anger, particularly resentment, resentment and contempt are not um, particularly comfortable feelings for people to experience around sex. Like you can do like rough play and, you know, um, mix a little bit of like angry energy into sex. Um, But most people are not having angry sex. Right. It's not actually very safe. Um, for mm-hmm. most of us, because anger is a boundary maintaining emotion. It's protective. And the energy that we get is about maintaining our boundaries. Uh, and many people are trying to have connective sex. And it doesn't mean that boundaries are the antithesis of connection. Um, but quite often the way we might use anger sexually um, might actually be sort of distancing or rejecting for our partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I right. can see that. And so in thinking about, okay, like, what do we do? um, I think at first stage is to think kind of about, okay, like what for me is happening here. If I was to think about what the issue is beyond the tagline, right? How would I narrate about the problem that I'm having with my partner or with myself, right? Is this, does this feel like it's about what we do, right? Do I experience this about something that You know, I think or that they think or that I think that they think or that they think that I think that we are thinking. (laughs) Or. Right. And what feelings are wrapped up in this. Right. The easy thing to say is that everything is always wrapped up in feeling. Um, But depending on what the person's goals are for therapy. Right. That feelings might not be the actual point for them. Right. Because not everyone is trying to be like emotionally intimate. Right, as they're being sexual.
0: So, for some people, they might be, their outcome might be to just literally have sex four times a week, and they're not interested in getting to the feeling that likely because they have to compromise or because that's the frame of mind they're in, that they're going to have to lose something to gain this experience, that that's literally how they measure their experience. So, there is just an outcome driven, which I mean, sex when it is outcome-driven, is not very connective. And it is no. taught to us to be outcome-driven mainly around the male's orgasm and hetero-normative sex.
1: Yeah, right. And and I put none of it on a hierarchy, right? That if you do not want relational sex, then do not have relational sex. But also do not mm-hmm. have sex with people who want relational sex if you are yeah, not- not lie
0: about your intentions.
1: Right, and yeah. beyond not lying, like also be clear with what, yeah. right? Because we, we do, we Own can- it. Yeah, we can absolutely um, be um, deceitful, right? Lying by omission, right? Like I didn't tell you I wanted a relationship. It's like, okay, but you, you come over every day and you hold me and, <laughs> right? You bring me soup, right? That like, you know, we can absolutely make inferences off of behavior. So we, we still need clarity. And so sometimes the issue really is just about behavior, right? at the level of behavior that's what we want to work on that's all that's active here we actually do have lovely emotional intimacy right like sure there's always things that we could learn but there's some you know this position doesn't actually work for us and we want to work on that differently right or this frequency doesn't actually work for us and we want to work on that differently
0: right when, when they get down to the emotional core of it like mm-hmm. outside of the person who you know, has to compromise quote unquote from four to two times a week or something or four to one where really there's probably an internal sense of rejection. And then that internal sense of rejection is affecting their worth. So at the emotional level, there's a lot going on that's probably triggering them and inviting them to an expansive space, just like Mm -hmm. the other person. Maybe there's something about actually letting go and diving deeper within intimacy. So a fear that's coming up. And, and when you get to both of those baseline stories to whatever it is going on at the core, then you can bring these like beautiful, vulnerable truths forward mm-hmm. that both people start to see each other's um, position, I suppose, or story or background. Then all of a sudden you have so much compassion for why there is a fear of four times or a fear of one time that both people are, are inadvertently experiencing pain that is bringing up I mean, childhood triggers likely. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, there's all kinds of things that can be activated, right? And we, my biased belief is that we can always come down to a feeling right? That if we're willing to be vulnerable, if we're willing to open that up, if we're willing to explore it, right? Just getting even a better understanding of what the emotional experience is, you know, use the word compassion, right? That, yeah, for me to be able to see your inner workings, for me to see your heart move in this conversation, right? Yeah. It gives us a whole other opportunity uh, to remain in partnership, even across a dis- divide, right? Because the the places at which we really lose our opportunity to resolve relational conflict is the point in time at which we forget that we're on the same team.
0: Mm, right? that, so, is, that is the key.
1: Yeah, right? like, that I'm not the problem and yeah. you are not the problem. And sometimes it's not even like we have a problem, it's that there is a problem.
0: Such beautiful language, you know, of thinking like uh, relational challenges or sexual challenges are not individual challenges, they're couples' challenges. Like your lower desire is actually in relation to me. So it's important for me to understand why you have a lower desire and what I can do in order to just make you feel heard, safe, loved, whatever that even looks like. I mean, that's the essence of, I think, a deep partnership, which is different than I think a lot of. What we've been taught or what we've observed, you know, and I think that's old old skills won't open new doors, you know, in some sense. And
1: right,
0: and it's not. I mean, I have a lot of. I don't know that it's anger, but I I do have a a disdain for Mm -hmm. the educational platforms that exist in all areas on sex and sexuality, especially. I mean, as far as I know in North America, I know that in Europe. There's maybe more of a movement towards sexual education and sexual conversations, depending on where you live in Europe, of course, but that sex is taught relationally rather than this separate subject that is just sex class versus as opposed to teaching it in context of relationship, which is such a different thing. You know what I mean? Like to say to a four-year-old, when you like someone, you might hold their hand, not giving a context to romance or anything, but you're starting to teach them that, intimacy and whatever that means is relational, not a separate box where we put shame and a lack of education.
1: Yeah. And the messages can be really, really simple. And I don't think we notice how many opportunities there are for us to do like really great relationship and sex work in just like everyday conversations. Right. So you're telling your three-year-old, you know, when you're tickling someone, even though they're laughing, if they tell you to stop, you need to stop, mm-hmm. even though it looks like they're having a good time.
0: Yeah. You know, when I learned about that type of sort of parenting behavior or like as an uncle, you know, it was like normal for mm-hmm. me to play with my friend's kids and like tickle them. And they'd be like, stop. And you're like, ha, ha, ha. really, yeah. they're in terror. Like And I remember, I, of course, I had a healthy experience of shame when I learned that mm-hmm. because I thought, oh, here I am. Like now I've just learned that there's a better behavior available to me, which of course it changed my behavior. But I really all of a sudden had these moments where I looked at all the times, you know, I did been mm-hmm. tickled or tickled someone. It's such a common thing we do or like go hug your uncle, even though you don't want to hug your uncle,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and, and we're like, oh, give them a kiss. What? No. And, yeah. and now I have that understanding of like, what are the implicit things we teach our children about their own agency?
1: Yeah. And it, and it shows up and we invalidate children all the time and we gaslight children all the time. Right. You don't, you're not, you're not sad. You're just tired. Right. That, right. We re narrate their experience and our intentions uh, are well. um, And we still, we still miss the mark. And so then when it comes to us navigating our adult sexual relationships, we have all of these confusing feelings that start to show up and we have all of these confusing experiences. And we say things like, oh, well, I, I should want to have sex with her, right? Like that's my, that's my partner, right? That's, you know, that's family, that's blood or that's whatever, right? And we start to recreate a lot of these, these early narratives, right? A lot of these early belief systems, these things that we think we're supposed to do, right? The ways that we feel like we should be, right? I hear this a lot about, you know, people's not just like frequency or level of desire, but, you know, I it'll bring in people's relationship to pornography, right? What they believe they can or can't or should or shouldn't do um, around people's sexual debuts. So people's beliefs around when they're supposed to become sexual um, and with whom and under what circumstances. And all of these are just, F- ripe fodder for shame
0: mm, they're all just f- rules that people made that are yeah, like, very fascinating
1: and most of what we believe is completely arbitrary right half of mm. the things that we believe we believe them because somebody told it to us at a time when we didn't have any contradictory information and then we judge every even within other our body
0: because we, we weren't sexual absolutely, yet
1: absolutely yeah. and then every other piece of information we get from then on we measure it against the thing that started the container and so quite often what happens in sex therapy is unlearning and that's at that thinking level where we feel first thoughts and then behavior and so you know in a personal development landscape right we're doing that thought work might look a lot like the point in time at which you introduce like mindfulness to folks right to notice what you're thinking and being able to sort of challenge those thoughts right that Sex therapy also comes with, and therapy broadly, I would say, um, comes with uh, a call to unlearn. Mm. Right? There's shit that you know that isn't useful. There's shit that you know that just isn't like isn't true.
0: Well, and that's true of every aspect of all life, you know. Absolutely. And it, I think, it just shows up so uh, painfully in romantic Absolutely. relationships because and sexual relationships because those don't have to be you know mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it can be fascinating that the The very beliefs that we hold spiritually, educationally, like what we should do with our lives, what role we should take in our families, what being a man or a woman means or anything in between, that all of these actually are very constrictive. They're very, because if you don't fit in the box, not knowing that you get to smash the fucking box and build your own. But that's, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, that we live in prisons that we build ourselves, that we don't even know we're in them because everyone's been in them We've watched our parents be in them. We've watched. And and that when I started to study sex and sexuality and really learn about desire and arousal and see that all the research based on the understanding of desire and arousal were done by men. So, of course, the process of arousal is like, you know, exactly like a man. And then you, you know, you experience orgasm and then it goes down. And well, (laughs) that's not exactly how it works. And I remember reading Come As You Are by Emily Mm -hmm. Nagoski, which is such a fantastic book. And I think necessary for all men and women and anybody, because as, as a man reading it, it was so helpful to understand my own, you know, like I had, because males are so celebrated for their sexual virility or you know, their desire for sex. If I didn't have a desire for sex, then I felt less masculine. And it's fascinating when I was in a relationship that started to lack emotional safety, I started to desire less for the first time in my life.
1: Yeah.
0: And I was more connected to my heart than I'd ever been in my life. Like I was living mm-hmm. deeply in vulnerability, communication. And desire started to drop and I started to feel like my identity as a male was dropping. And I could observe it because I was mindful about it. But I was like, wait, what is this really about? Mm -hmm. And I started to see that it was about that. I just didn't feel safe. I didn't feel secure. And that felt emasculating to even identify and hold. And it was a lot to sort of sit within myself to be like, you have permission to all of these things, but they are in direct conflict with everything I learned about masculinity. And, that was like a whole other can of worms because my identity that I didn't know I was holding that was restrictive had to shatter and die. And it felt that was just more grief to add to the fear of not being chosen and all those Mm -hmm. things. And desire started to return once I accepted that true those truths and also confronted the lack of safety. Then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden desire returned because my body was saying, we actually feel safe to be intimate with this person now. Otherwise I felt like I wasn't in my heart when I was in intimacy because I was yeah. so scared. And for a man to be allowed, I think for anybody, I don't want to say that that's not true for everybody, but I think because it is in such direct conflict as a male to be allowed to be scared, be allowed to need connectivity for sex. Cause we're taught to, you know, you could just have sex. And if you can't just have sex, then there's, if you can't just turn off your heart, that's yeah. the fact that we have to leave our bodies to enter intimacy is, that if you can't do it sober, don't do it. That's just such a good rule.
1: Yeah. Right. And I, there's so, so much there. Um, yeah. You know, a thing that weighs really heavy on, on my heart, you know, for people socialized as men is that we actually don't let men have feelings. Right. I know that we talk very much about Men not being able to feel tender emotions, but we we don't actually make a lot of room for men to experience most things. We might l- we might let you access anger, although we're all terrified of it. Yeah, right? you know, everyone's afraid of you know a, a man who is angry. Yeah, right? uh, including other men. Yeah, right? which is why we sure. have a, a a culture you know that um, where it makes sense for us to carry weapons in case other people are angry with us. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, let's all, you know, protect ourselves with weapons in case someone else is protecting themselves with a weapon. Right. that Just what that does
0: to your baseline cortisol. Well, exactly. Fascinating.
1: Exactly. And what that does for our level of interpersonal risk. Right. And so we don't give men access to feelings, really. We don't allow them to feel. Um, But then we give them sex as a source of their power. And then we have this conversation around desire, which makes next to no sense because if we were to look at like, how we actually define desire, desire is embodied wanting, right? But you're not in your body if you don't feel So I see a lot of men, and they have had many sexual partners and many sexual experiences. And in their lives, they're feeling incredibly disempowered and confused as to why their partners are saying shit like, you don't get it and you don't listen. And they're feeling wildly dissatisfied while they're sitting in C-suite positions and making lots and lots of money and they're powerful and they're big and they're athletic and some of them have international accolades and are being written about all over the place and they feel small and they feel scared and they feel unsure of themselves right because they they haven't been able to inhabit their body in any real way and feelings are still happening to them and they're doing everything to distance and numb them the ones they recognize they're completely disempowered by because they've never been given any space to learn any tools for them. And it vastly impacts their ability to connect to people in meaningful and successful ways, long-term, right. You know, the, the folks who have, you know, four or five, you know, um, marriages that implode and they're not sure what is happening. Right. And I I see all of these spaces as woefully and wildly interconnected. Mm, And then all of a sudden, you know, they'll come in and say my penis doesn't work and it has nothing to do with that right yeah. Go, yeah, yes you do not have an erection right now right <laughs> that's yeah
0: viagra happened. just made it so we bypass our hearts again it's just like Absolutely. i mean there are places Absolutely. for antidepressants and stuff i'm not saying no but they also are a solution often to not feel the feeling because sadness is not bad
1: no we, in, you know,
0: grief is not bad. Living in those things can be challenging, sure. but being afraid of them and not invited towards them with someone's guidance or even with the safety of someone who can help you with that—it's—it's it's saying again, there's something wrong with you because we celebrate good feelings and not feelings that we code as bad. I don't yeah. code feelings as good or bad; they're just information.
1: Yeah, and so-
0: beautiful pieces of information.
1: And. And so when we, when we use the word desire as liberally as we do, we conflate it mm-hmm. with arousal, right? Like you can be yeah. aroused, right? And arousal isn't necessarily a good thing, right? Because we can be hyper aroused. We can be, right, that arousal is, is energetic, right? So if you are afraid, you are aroused. And so, you know, if you're a person with a vulva, like your body lubricates, Right. That doesn't mean you have desire in this moment. It means your body is in a state of arousal. It's preparing for something. Lubrication just keeps you from being from being torn up. Right. And so just acknowledge survival. That's right. Right. That it that it is a functional mechanism to keep your your canals from the tissue in your in your vaginal canal from being torn. Right. So
0: which is a survival advantage when ab- people had been right.
1: Absolutely it is. Yeah. Right. For people who have penises, right? That again, arousal, right? That you can get a fear boner. Right. That you can mm-hmm. have an erection at any point in time. You could be not conscious or present at all and look down and be like, Oh, I have an erection. Right. That that doesn't even have anything to do with anything that, that you're thinking about. Right. There's something happening in your body. Right. Well, desire is embodied wanting. And if you are not connected to your body, how do you experience desire? And if you aren't connected to your body and not aware of how you feel and what you want, what is your opportunity to negotiate with this partner when you're not having satisfying sex as frequently as you'd like it? Right. That Mm. that it's it's so easy to fall into the hump, and that's why everyone has sexual questions, and only you know a small margin of people (laughs) will want to actually ask them. And everyone believes, you know, not everyone believes, but. You know, sometimes I'll get folks who say, like, well, sex is natural, and, you know, why do I need someone to teach me, you know, how to have sex? Right.
0: Oh, my gosh. Right. I and, mean, the fact that we think we should just be good at it is a real flaw in the right. thinking, because I don't know who here lost their virginity and was like, I was so good back there. What? That was, there
1: are some people who, who believe that. <laughs> you know? Yeah,
0: or... <laughs> right. They watch some porn and thought they're this yeah, high they performer. Did.
1: And porn is wonderful, entertain can be wonderful entertainment, but it's shitty education.
0: Right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's,
1: you know, that's watching, it's watching NASCAR and being like, great, I know how to drive now. Right? That you just, you miss all of, right? You miss <laughs> all of the safety. A great, control, right? that miss, a great analogy. Right? That's a great analogy. You miss all of the details. You saw someone get in, you saw someone get off, you saw who won, and that's the end, right? That you, yeah. you know nothing about the players, you know nothing about the track, you know nothing about the vehicle, right? You're just like, great, I'm gonna get in the car and I'm gonna go, right? That that's the, that's, that's not how. That
0: <laughs> is so boring to me, by the way. <laughs> but that is a whole other subject. I don't understand why people watch a car drive around a circle. You know, that to teach their. That own. <laughs> I can understand why people watch more. No problem there. But I'm sure there are some people who
1: are watching NASCAR saying, "I
0: car porn.
1: I'm sure there are some people yeah, watching NASCAR who are sitting there like, "I have no idea what people are doing on Pornhub. This is great."
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, when he revved his motor, <laughs> my motor got running. <laughs> I don't know. That's like, I just generalized a NASCAR fan too. <laughs> I'm an asshole. Well, um, I think the the sort of I guess I want to be mindful of your time here. Mm. I think this this sort of collective. Uh, thing that I'm picking up from you Mm. is it's so important to learn your sexual story, to learn what has influenced you, what has shaped your own experience that you bring. You know, because when two people have a sexual challenge, they both have sexual stories that that could be totally different in how they experience that challenge and to bring it back to what is the feeling? Yeah. Like, how is this inviting me to expand? How can I get to know my partner better, myself better? And turning towards sexual problems as couple challenges, not individual challenges. Because otherwise I think we make them feel like an island, you know, that they are isolated and it's their issue. And then shame, 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 shame. Um, and we need less shame and more absolutely. empowerment.
1: Absolutely we do. You know, uh, a, a thing I'll, I'll share it in reflection to that to help sort of um, tie some of this together. You know, a lot of what we learn mm-hmm. about sex, you know, the little that we do, um, is so individually focused and yet still managing to miss us actually like being in tune with ourselves and like listening to our feelings. Cause we, we divorce feelings out of everything. Um, right. But like who wants to have like, who wants to have a sexual experience where you're being had sex at, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, many of us have had experiences where we've felt like someone was having sex like on us or or Atlas, mm-hmm. right? That these are relational experiences, and you know, my heart, you know, always calls towards social justice for this belief that we need to return to uh, or create a new, you know, a, a space in which we actually live as a community, right? This interrelatedness, mm-hmm. right? This interdependence that we've lost along the way, right? From generations of being colonized and being re-educated and unlearning our humanity. And so reconnecting and re-grounding with feelings is one way to resist and reclaim, right? Like how much we actually know, how much we actually know, because I'm not the expert on anybody's life. I just happen to know the shit that I know really well. Right, I can't teach you about your life. I will never know more about your life than you do. But I can absolutely help you understand more about what it is that you feel so that you can tap into your inner knowing. And from there, you have so much power to then be in relationship to others because you can be clear on where you are. And if you're able to partner with someone who's willing to do that work either for themselves or with you, alongside you at the same time as you, in tandem with you, Right, we can take the differences that we experience, and they're again, they're no longer a problem in and of themselves. And the problem isn't in us or on us, problems exist, right, as catalysts for these deeper conversations. And some we figure out in ways that allow us to stay in the same kind of connection to one another. And some really challenge us to acknowledge that, oh, this is a divergence point for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? And being able to acknowledge that. That's yeah. A-
1: but but that experience, I, I do that work around sex because sex is a thing that I care about and it wasn't conversations that were happening in my world and so I, I felt like there needed to be there needed to be more people in that space and so and so here I am. Um and that, that maps out to so many other landscapes that we could look at. Like what would it be like for us to really return to humanity so that we can approach one another person to person, and no longer be intolerant of one another's differences, but experience ourselves as on the same team, right? Mm. For, for me, that, that's the core that, that drives everything. I think so much about, you know, this work as liberation work rather than healing work, um, because healing is beautiful, and I, and I, I need us to dream, I, I want us to dream bigger than that, right? I, I want us to, to push for Freedom. I want us to push for integrity. I want us to push for pleasure, and I believe that that all of that is possible through connection. And I just happen to choose sexual
0: connection, right? But we can it's a good place to choose.
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I echo that, and I am um, so grateful that you gave your time today. I'm very appreciative of that because I know it's the one finite resource that we cannot get back. And so it's such a beautiful exchange for all the people listening. I'm, I'm really grateful for your time.
1: Thank you for having me. It was an, it was an honor to share this time with you.
0: And for the people listening, where do they go find more of you? Where do they get more of this delicious conversation?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, where do they dive in deep?
1: Yeah. So I am now technically a person who exists on social media, uh, yeah, that, that is
0: nice.
1: <laughs> so that that is unfolding. Uh, so it's my name, uh, Shadeen Francis LMFt on Instagram. In truth, I was super resistant uh, to online space for a super long time, um, and we are, we are transitioning gently uh, out of that.
0: I like that <laughs> freedom. Uh,
1: I also have a, a website um, that is up for a relaunch, which is really exciting. And so those two spaces will be tethered together. Um, for me to uh, be sharing uh, a lot more with you uh, in moving forward from the start of of 2020 onwards. And so my website is uh, ShadeenFrancis.com.
0: And Shadeen is spelled S-H-A-D-E-E-N Francis, F-R-A-N-C-I-S. For those of you listening, Mm. I'm so grateful for you. Thank Mm. you for being here.
1: Thank you.